way for us to say thanks for being here this morning. We are glad that, that all of you are here to worship together this morning. Find the clipboards at the end of the rows. You can fill those out and pass them down. Um, there are also prayer cards always behind those sign-in sheets. Um, many of you fill those out every week. It's great to pray for those things as a staff uh, this upcoming week. So if you've got something you'd like first more, fill that out. Um, put it. You can either hand it to us or you can put it in the box on the back table, uh, which is the box that is back there uh, for you to worship through giving. If you've come prepared to worship our generous God through uh, your own generosity, your giving, uh, you can do so with that box back there. Hopefully you uh, have grabbed one of the monthly updates. Uh, just a couple announcements, things that I want to kind of put on your radar uh, for the next couple of weeks. Tonight, a reminder is... Our membership dinner, so if you, uh, it's not too late if you are interested in either finding out more about what membership looks like here at Christ Community, or if you're ready to kind of take that step for membership, that is tonight, 5 to 7 p.m. at, at our house. Um, so you can come find me if you're interested in coming. Come find me and I'll let you know where we live, and you can just show up. We'll have pizza. Uh, it'll be a fun time together. The next thing, uh, Thursday, May 11th, is many of you know we have pretty vibrant uh, relationship with the Bison Aids. They are a pregnancy center here in, uh, I mean, literally, uh, at this corner here at 75th and Kavira. They've also got a spot in Overland Park. They do good work here uh, in the Kansas City area, and we love partnering with them. And we've got a spa night coming up on May 11th to just pamper the moms that are part of their Bridges program, those who have had babies and are walking, the Bison Aids is walking alongside them uh, to help them uh, in their journey, and so we, we love to, to pamper the moms through the spa night. Uh, so I, one, I just wanted to let you know that that's happening. That's May 11, 6 to 8 p.m., but we're also looking for just a few more people to help donate some food, uh, so bring some food for that night, and a few ladies, or I guess guys, if you have the skill, but probably ladies, to help paint some nails um, for the evening. So if you're interested in helping with that, just come find me. I'd love to, I, I would love to help you help uh, us help. For that night, that'd be really fun uh, evening together. And then, and then finally, Mother's Day is May 14th. That's just two days, two weeks away. So uh, that's a friendly reminder for that. Mother's Day in two weeks, but that Sunday we are doing our next child dedication. So if you're interested in having your having a child dedicated on a Sunday morning, it's not too late. Uh, find one of the two of us, either Tim or myself, who will get you more details for child dedication. That is it for announcements. Uh, everything else you might need to know. Uh, is hopefully in here. Go ahead and stand now as we continue to worship through the hearing of God's word read. Our text for this morning is not in Matthew. We have moved on to a new series called Vice and Virtues. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So hear God's word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection Love. Or if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Lumiat, welcome to you as well. My name is, is Tim, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Good to have you with us. Um, as you introduced right, we'll be in 2 Peter 1, so if you have a Bible, uh, free, uh, feel free to, to turn there. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we have them on the back uh, table. The, um, uh, if, you, uh, if you don't have a copy, you can grab one. That's our gift um, to you. And if you're a kid and you can grab one of the um, green Kids Connect sheets on your way in, uh, or if you're an adult and you want to follow along, uh, the sermon's boring, or uh, we need to take some help, uh, you can grab one of those and follow along. Um, as well. But with that, before, uh, before I jump into 2 Peter 1, let's pray and, uh, and ask for God to discuss Psalm 1. God, uh, your, your word in Psalm 1 says that those who delight in your word who meditate on a day and night, they will be like a tree planted by streams of water. And they will yield fruit in their season. So God, we want to produce fruit with our lives. So we, we pause to meditate would you, would you plant us there, and would you give us deep roots so that we would, we would be fruitful for our families, our neighbors, whoever you pick for us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, why a series on virtues and vices? Now, when I, I first, uh, we first started discussing this idea as a team, I wasn't that excited about it because it sounded, it sounded kind of medieval, a little dark and, and depressing, and, and maybe that's because when I think uh, of the vices, the seven deadly sins, seven capital vices, I think of the, the movie Seven, um, which if you haven't seen it, it's just not a recommendation, it's a pretty dark and depressing uh, movie, because it sort of, I think, does what we think of when we think of vice, which is it, it shows vice in a pretty exaggerated and unrealistic way, like you look at, you look at a movie like that, or you think of vice, and you think, oh, like that's only for like really evil people, of which I am not one. Um, it's irrelevant to me, and, and so that, that's how I often think of, of vice, or we tend to treat vice with a, with a certain playfulness. So did you just Google, uh, like, advertising campaigns uh, using the seven capital vices? Like, companies continually do this. They, they create ads around the seven vices to get you to buy their things. Um, so the latest, uh, the latest thing is the company Beats by Dre. They make, they make uh, headphones. And they've created, uh, using uh, the models um, Naomi Campbell, Campbell and Kate Moss, seven ads around the seven vices because, like, you know, gluttony is going to make you buy headphones. Uh, it's, it makes complete sense when you think about it. Um, but there's a, there's a big reason why I think this is a hard series for me, or was a hard series for me initially to get into. Um, and that was because the, the Christian tr- thinkers who have contributed to this tradition, of there's these vices that are, are deep within us. They have an assumption about human beings that our culture largely does not accept, rejects. That they're, they're, the assumption we have that they reject it is that human beings are, are basically good, although we can be moral without a significant effort on our, our part. That, that their assumption was vice is our default. Our assumption is virtue is our default. Those are very different ways of looking at human beings. Now, our cultural assumption, I think, today, most of us, I think probably almost all of us in this room, if we, if we were really honest, would say, you know, I'm basically a good person. All of us think that, which is why we don't think deeply about vice in the way that, that men like Augustine or Thomas Aquinas 
did because we think we're basically, we're good. Like, vice isn't relevant to us. But just to push back on that for a second, what if, what if the reason we think we're, we're good, or we appear to be such good people, is it's not because we're actually, like, deeply morally good, but we, we just have our needs met. Like, we're well fed. That compared to most of humanity throughout, throughout, in this day as well as throughout history, like we, we don't have the day-to-day struggles that most humanity lived with. And I, I wonder if the reason it's so easy for us to think we're good is because we're not really tested. And as, as someone who, in, in my own life, has entered a season of, of testing, um, let me please just plead with you. You need this here this year. I am almost certain you're not as good as you so for me, it's been, it's been a month since, uh, a little bit over a month since we learned that our oldest son has uh, muscular dystrophy, which means just the roots of my life are getting, are getting dug up in a way that they have never been before. And what's, what's deep within me, which is, has been easy to cover for most of my life because I don't have significant needs that are pressing, right? I have a long road of patience. Um, I just can't, I don't have time to cover those things up. I don't have the, I don't have the, I don't have the soil, I don't have the energy. Those things are exposed, and I'm seeing these vices that work in my life in ways that I wouldn't have seen until this happened. And so, before you get to that day, maybe you're already there, you're, you're experiencing something similar to me, but before you get that to that day, uh, you need a series. You need what Christians have thought for centuries, which is, is that we all have certain habits, certain ways of inhabiting our lives, certain ways of living, that either kill us slowly, in unseen ways, or we become people who, who intently pursue a virtuous life. And so you don't have to read Augustine, Aquinas, all these guys who wrote all these words. Let me sum up all of their, all, everything they said in one sentence, which is kind of the core operating sentence for us as we move forward over the next uh, eight weeks. And that is, you're, you're either going to run after virtue or you're going to be trampled by vice. You're either going to pursue virtue with an intensity and become a virtuous person yourself, or vice is going to have its way with you. So maybe you don't see that now. Maybe, um, maybe that's not as clear to you as it is uh, to me. But just vicariously through me, just, just believe me for a second. There will come a moment in your life when you'll see your need for this series. Just pretend and listen in to these eight, eight weeks. Um, I want to start with, with 2 Peter. Uh, verse 1, because Peter gets at what we want to get at over the next seven weeks, this idea that you have, to, you have to pursue a virtuous life, you have to run after virtue, or you're going to be trampled by vice. And I want to look at, at 2 Peter 1 in, in four ways. Um, the first being that we already have habits that will kill us. And I realize that sounds a little over the top, right? And just forgive me, I'm a preacher, I like dramatic statements, that's just how we roll. Uh, but I do think that's true. I think we all within us have habits that will um, kill us. And understand that. You need to understand what is vice. When we say vice, what does that mean? Um, in the tradition, it's, it's, you may have heard of it as the, the seven deadly sins. Um, I prefer to use the term vice because of what the, the tradition is saying about vice, about the seven deadly sins. They're, they're not sins in the sense that they're acts that we commit. Which is why the seven capital vices, they're not like the worst things that you and I can do. It's not, it's not because Christians sat down and said, what are the worst seven things that human beings have ever done? That's not what the tradition is trying to get at. Rather, what vice is, it's, it's about digging deeper into the roots of why we do what we do, why we have certain habits, why we have certain responses. It's not just saying, well, human beings, they murder, because murder is not a capital vice. 
things. But it's why do human beings murder? Why do human beings commit adultery? Why do we do things continually, repeatedly, that we know destroy others and ourselves, and yet we enter into them willingly? So, what, what is vice? Let me offer a, a definition. If you want a book to read along uh, through the series, um, although I hesitate to give it to you because then all my good ideas are just to know I got from her, but uh, Rebecca Dion wrote a book called Glittering Vices, which is sort of the backdrop for us um, as we have entered into the series. But here's how she defines a vice. She says this, a vice is a deeply rooted pattern in our character. Patterns broader than a single act, but narrower than our sinful human condition. So a vice, it's something that we learn something we inhabit, it's something that we then enhance and make stronger in ourselves through repeated practice. So then think of a tree. A tree, it, you see the fruit, and you can grab the fruit, you can taste the fruit, it's what's visible to you. But the fruit only comes because of, of what's underneath the fruit, the roots, the system, the health of the tree. And so as you think about vices, the vices are, are the roots, they're the unseen realities. So, for example, you see people who live a life of no self-control. Like, they can't say no to things. They just, they have no self-control about them. But that, that's, that's the fruit. That's what's visible. What's underneath is, is gluttony. That you see people obsessed with the opinions of, of others, shackled to what other people think of them. That's the fruit. That's what you see. That's what's visible. What's underneath is the vice of, of vainglory. That we see adultery. We see um, the fruits of adultery. It's visible. And yet underneath that are roots that are our lust. And that's one reason what, what makes vice, I think, so important for us to spend time thinking and reflecting on, but also what makes it so scary is that vice, you can be, you can be very trapped in vice and not know it because it's, it's underneath. And, and the fruit just hasn't been produced yet. The roots are there in your life. It just hasn't, just hasn't grown into full fruit. It's just not visible yet, but it's there. So this is, this is serious stuff, which is why Christians have thought about this deeply for centuries. And it's why Peter, who was an apostle, a pastor, um, a church planter, he, he gets to this place where 2 Peter is at the end of his life. And, and even the way this, the first eight verses are framed in the Greek are clearly uh, written in such a way to say, this is my life teaching son that I'm about to die. These are the most important things. Listen to them. And what he focuses on is living into a life of virtue. So look with me at, at verse 4. Those who have become a Christian, uh, who have been granted uh, the precious promises of, of God, we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Well, there's two words there I want to unpack that, that unpack this idea of vice. The first is corruption. And this word, it, it refers to something very specific. Uh, when, when we think about corruption, I think we can think of a lot of things. But this word corruption means uh, just physical decay. Like physically, materially, the world is falling apart. And this is, this is indisputable, right? You cannot argue this. Um, so for, uh, for example, I used to have a, a head full of, of very beautiful, lovely, thick, curly hair. Um, and then it all moves out to my face. Like, that's just what happened. And, and I just went with it. But, but literally, my hair just fell out of my head all of a sudden, right? Like, that's, that's what's happening in the universe. It's, everything's decaying. It's falling apart. And have you ever just asked the question, why? Like, I mean, I have. I've asked the question, why, like, why did my hair get thicker and more beautiful as I grew with it? Why did the opposite happen? Um, so why? Why is the universe falling apart? Well, Peter, uh, Peter says, why does this happen? And what his answer is, is the universe is corrupted. Like, we've escaped from the corruption of the world if we've been saved because the world's corrupt because of sinful desire, he says. 
And the word sinful desire there, it's, it's not an act. It's, it's something inside of yourself. It's, it's something you don't see. It's, I think, what the Christians thought of when they thought of devices. And what Peter's saying is that our problem as human beings is not that we, you and I, we make one-off mistakes. We, we do things and we say, you know, that's not really who I am. Like, I'm someone else. And we make these mistakes. I mean, that's what no, Peter's saying. The problem is we have desires within us. We have patterns. We have feelings. We have habits. We have ways of living that are literally destroying the universe. And there's signs all around us that this is the case. We're decaying, right? And the, Peter's saying, look at the physical decay around us. Look at the way that... that that the physical world is, is falling apart. And that is a sign to you that something inside you is not right. So we all have, we all already have habits that are destroying us. That's point one. Point two, we need to be more than, than what we are. So to explain what a vice is, so what's a virtue? And again, Rebecca DeYoung, here's how she would define a virtue. A virtue is a moral quality that is acquired through practice it gradually becomes our character, who we are. So virtue, it's, it's not just something you do, it's a moral quality that's inherent to yourself. It's, it's what you begin to do on the spot. It's just who you are. And so Christians have typically uh, listed three virtues as the cardinal virtues, faith, hope, and love. And you see that actually in Peter's list, when he starts to go, uh, he says, supplement your faith with virtue, and he starts to go through the list. Peter starts with faith, he ends with love, and in in lists like that, the, the two most important things are what begin and end to the last of the list. So Peter sees faith and love as two cardinal virtues we are to have a part of us as Christians. And yet again, these aren't things that like that you try really hard to do, but what he's what virtues are is that you do them so much over time, they just they just become who you are. You just you react on the spot with faith. You react on the spot with, with love. Now it's important to, to point out that if, if that's what a virtue is, then you do not have to be a Christian to be a virtuous person. You don't have to be a Christian to be a good person. For, for a couple reasons. One is that as Christians, we believe every human being is made in the image of God, which means we should expect every person, no matter who they are, whether they believe in God or not, to have the virtue of God within them because they're made in God's image. And secondly, because uh, Christians, we believe that we're saved um, by grace, not by works, uh, we should completely expect those who are, are, who are not Christians to be even more virtuous than our right. We recognize our own sinfulness, our own need for God. And so that what we're offering in this series is not Christians should be virtuous and everyone else is vice. Christians are the good people, everyone else is bad. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying, what we do want to say is what Peter's saying here is that if you are a Christian, it means something about a life of virtue. And it starts in verse 3. It starts where Peter starts. Here's what, what he says. Um, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. Here's, here's what he says. He says, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. What I want to say is that the difference ultimately between a Christian and a non-Christian is not the difference between a good person and a bad person. No, you can be, you can be a bad person and be a Christian, and you can be a good person and, and not be a Christian. But the difference between someone who's not a Christian and who is a Christian, it's, it's different, and there was an old preacher, his name was uh, Martin Lou Julians, and he explained it uh, like this. And the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is the difference between um, a synthetic, a fake plant, and, and a living plant. Um, the thing like, so we're a mobile, uh, we're a mobile campus, which means uh, all the plants out there, they, they are not real, uh, believe it or not, surprise. Uh, they're not real plants, they're fake, um, and they look very nice, right? They pick them out specifically, they look like they have life in them, but they don't. They're fake. 
Um, they'll never change. Like what you see is what you get. That's, that's, that's as far as they go. Whereas a living plant um, can be almost dead, right? There could be very little life to it. And yet, uh, with the right nourishing, with the right care, with the right uh, sunlight, with the right approach, that real plant has a power in itself to do, to do almost anything, to grow into almost anything. And so to be a, to be a Christian is to have the divine power at work in you. And you may be in a place where as a plant, you're, you're, left, you're basically dead. <laughs> There's very little life, very little good that's in you. And yet you're on a trajectory towards, um, towards power and life. But if you're not a Christian, you do not have that divine power. She can look good, but there's there's a cap, there's a limit, there's a there's an end to that the growth that's possible. And so you don't need Jesus to be a good person, but as Christians, we're not called to be good people. We're called to be like Christ. And Peter says in verse four, we're, we are partakers in the divine nature, which simply means that we are we are participants in in divine. Life. And, and what I think that means, just to sum that up, is you, at the end of your Christian life, you're going to look exactly like Jesus looked if you were you. And we have everything we already need to make that happen in us. The divine powers that work in us, the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in us. And here's where, again, I, I, our assumption is we're basically good people. And I think we set the bar so low. And as Christians, we need to continually be reminded our. What our world needs from us, what our family, our neighbors, our friends need from us, is not, it's not for us to be nice, which is good, or just decent, or, or just okay. Like they, need, they need us to be Jesus, virtuous. Again, this has been brought home um, with me just, just thinking through what, what my son is going to need from me as a father over the, the coming years. There are going to be hard things that are ahead, and what he needs... For me, ultimately, it's not just that I'm a nice person, or that I'm, I'm unselfish some of the time, or that I, I love him to some extent. He needs Jesus. He needs a father who is like Jesus in every way. And not just because I try really hard, but because that's who I am, and that's who I am becoming. But here's the deal. He needed that anyway. And the people in your life, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, they need you to be Jesus anyway, no matter what they're going through. And so, why aren't we more, like, we need to think about, okay, what are we living into? What are we becoming? What, are we a virtuous people? Are we the kinds of people that our neighbors need? And not just are we good, not just are we nice. And so we want to, we want to pause, we just want to reflect, what is, what is between me and the, the looking like Jesus? What vices are holding us back, holding you back, holding me back? What vices chasing you down to trample over you? What habits are planted in you that are not leading to the flourishing of others? We're going to look at seven of those over the next several weeks. We'll look at anger. We'll look at lust. We'll look at greed, vainglory, envy. What's holding you back from a virtuous life? Okay, so point one, we, we have habits already that are destroying us. In us. We, uh, we need to be more than we are, right? This is the goal is not to be just good people. The goal is to be like Christ. But thirdly, um, where Peter goes next, and really what's at the heart of this passage, I think probably the main idea is that, that we need to make every effort. We must make every effort. And he says this in a couple ways, starting in verse 5. Um, he says, for this reason, basically because you've been saved, um, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Make every effort. 
And then again, Peter says something similar in verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Be diligent. Practice these, these qualities. We must make every effort. So how? Okay, how, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to make every effort to become, try to become a virtuous person? Well, rather than to tell you how, because really we're going to do that over the next seven weeks, I just want to offer some diagnosis of are you doing that right now? Are you, are you right now in this moment making ever, every effort to become a virtuous person? Four ways, uh, four diagnostics. Um, I promise they'll be quick. You don't have to cancel lunch plans. But four ways, um, really quick, of how you can see, okay, yeah, that, like I am making every, every effort in a virtuous life. At first, um, virtue, virtue hates vice. I think all of us know, like we have some bad habits. We have some things we probably shouldn't do anymore. Um, but to think of them like as vices or as something that could potentially destroy us or ruin us. Like, that feels like over the top. That is one of our, our culture's most uh, most prominent theologians, uh, Kanye West, um, put it. I mean, he is. He thinks a lot. Uh, but this is actually good. I'm, my tr I'm trying to right my wrongs, but it's funny. Those same wrongs help me write my songs. Well, the reality is, like, vice gives us something. That's why we like it. That's why we keep going back to those, those patterns, those ways of living, but if you desire to be virtuous, you cannot wink at vices. You hate them. You, virtue hates vice, and that's one way you can know you're pursuing a virtuous life. Is if you don't look at your vices and say, oh, "I got to get to that someday," you, no, you have to. You hate them. You want to get them out. You're root, like like pulling weeds from your garden. You're working at it. You hate it. You don't want it to be yourself anymore. So that's one. Virtue hates vice. Second is is virtue it. It takes effort, and um, this is what we're saying at this point, but um, here's what N.T. Wright says about virtue, which has been really helpful for me as I've been thinking about it this week. Um, here's what he writes, uh, theologian N.T. Wright, that the difference between virtue and vice is, is this. Anybody can learn a vice. All that you have to do is go into neutral, slide along with the way uh, stuff is going, and before, before too long, certain habits of life will have you in their grip. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to try it. But virtue, you have to think about. You have to make a decision to be this sort of person now. Virtue is what happens when you make a thousand small decisions consciously, thought out, so that on the thousandth and first occasion, you will unhesitatingly and instinctively, by second nature, act virtuously. Nobody does it by nature. Some people thank God do it by second nature. And so to grow in virtue, it requires pursuit. You have to get into what... what uh, the Apostle Paul calls at one point the spiritual gymnasium. Jesus said, I, I have a yoke. I want you to get inside, uh, get inside alongside me and go to work with me. Jesus, uh, or, or you're, not, you're not just going to become more like Jesus by accident. This takes effort and, and, re and requires work. And so we're going we're gonna to try to help you with that, that how each week with like, okay, this week, if you want to grow in virtue, this is what it looks like. This is what you need to live into. I'll get that in, into a second. But, but for now, just naming the fact that neutral, not no effort, no, no marking out, I need to, to grow into a life of virtue, that means you're sliding into vice. And if there's no, there's no just sitting in, in place, there's no standing path, you're either sliding into vice or you're growing more into virtue. So virtue takes effort a second. Thirdly, uh, virtue comes from habits. And the goal of a virtuous life is that no matter what happens to you, your response is, is virtue. So think of it like, like this. I know some of you, you've read this, uh, this story before from me, so I apologize for repeating, but it's good, and I like to make fun of myself. Um, so there, there's one moment in my life where uh, I, was, I was playing golf, I was on a golf team, and we, uh, we were part of a match, going on in a match, and uh, it was a short hole, about 110 yards, it was a par three, 
And I hit what looked to be a good shot, but it was still a green that was blind, so you couldn't really see where your ball landed. So when I got up there, like I couldn't, I couldn't see my ball anywhere. I mean, it was just was somewhere, but I didn't know where it was. And so in golf, you're allowed five minutes to look for a ball if you can't find it. And everyone in your group is supposed to help you look for the ball. It's just golf. It's golf etiquette. And we were playing a rival high school, and the two kids from the rival high school did not help me look for my ball. Now, I was really frustrated already because I thought I had a good shot and I'd be close to the, to the hole, but I couldn't find my ball. And then two of these guys who, frankly, had been rude the entire round and now were breaking proper golf etiquette and not helping me look for my ball. They're just off doing their own thing. And then, then finally, five minutes is up, and um, the kid, uh, one of the kids from the rival high school says, hey, it's been five minutes. You have to go. You have to go hit another ball and make a penalty shot. Which made me mad because like, he's supposed to be helping me with my ball and telling me to go. Do something else, and that's the rule of golf. If you lose your ball, you actually have to go back to where you hit it before, and you take a penalty shot. So, so I grab a ball, I grab my club, and I start walking back to the tee. And I, man, I'm just fuming uh, at this point. And there's a guy's name, his name is John Young, he's my best friend's dad. Uh, like, the, maybe the most Christian man I've ever met. Incredibly humble, incredible dude. Um, he's walking towards me, I'm walking towards him, and he just asks me, he says, uh, you know, I, I forget what he even asked. He's like, hey, did you, did you lose your ball or a tough race? I mean, something nice. And uh, I'm a sophomore in high school at this point, and I, I just launched into cursing that night. I mean, like a tirade of curse words that uh, you, you won't get this reference, maybe you will, but like, would have made Bobby Knight proud. Um, I'm from Indiana, it works for me. I try to think of Kansas equivalent. Bill Self just doesn't quite feel the same as Bobby Knight to me. But uh, I mean, I was, just, I was just so angry, and I launched into it. And I, I wasn't even talking to him so much. It was just like I was just cursing the universe or something. He just walked past me, didn't say anything. I walked up to you, I hit my shot, and move on. A couple holes later, his son Mitch comes up to me and uh, says, "Hey, how, how are you doing?" And, um, I said, "Okay, uh, you know, okay." And he says, "Well, my, my dad just told me Tim, Tim must have had a really tough hole back there, and I hope, I hope it's okay." I said, two people in that story. One um, gets slighted at golf etiquette, which, like, on the totem of universal problems, is pretty low, I think. Um, and. Uh, and he responds in me, you know, in cursing, in anger, and flying off the handle. Um, human being too, John, uh, he gets cursed at by a jerk <laughs> on the golf course, and, and he responds in love. Right? Two very different defaults at life. And what vice and virtue is, it gets at, what is, what is your default? How do you respond in the moment when you can't suppress your, your frustration, whatever it is you're feeling? Because typically what we do is we, when, when that happens to us, we say, well, that wasn't me, right? That, that wasn't like me. It's like, no, that, that was you, and you finally had the opportunity to be yourself. You just haven't. So for a moment, those moments are glimpses into actually what's deep inside you. And we tend to say, well, that's not really me, or that's something else. But, but that, that is you. And you're getting a, a glimpse into who you really are. I would say, if you're not sure what's deep down inside you, then your next step for this week is, is to find something to fast from this week. The, the, like I said when we started, we have so much materially that I think covers up our default reactions. And so we don't, we, we're more patient just because we, we're, we're eating really well. And if we, if, we're to, if we start taking things out of our lives, we suddenly have less patience. Our roots get laid bare. What's lurking beneath starts to come out. And fasting uncovers those things. So fast this, this week. Start digging at your roots to see what's down there. And maybe for you it's TV. Maybe it's your phone. Uh, maybe it's just buying stuff. Uh, maybe uh, for some of you it's, it's fasting from coffee. 
And for me, that's, that's the most obvious one. Like, really, how good would any of us think we really are if none of us drink coffee tomorrow? Like, I think Kansas City would just burn down tomorrow if everyone stopped drinking coffee. That's, and so it's like, we're not actually good people. We're just well-caffeinated. So give up, give up something this week. So look, look into yourself. Look into the roots. What's there? What's your default? Fourthly, uh, a diagnostic. How, are, you, are you entering into this virtue life? Uh, virtue, virtue is the fruit of salvation. And what Peter said in verse 10 that I read a moment ago is that you need to pursue this virtuous life because it confirms your, your calling. And what he, what he means by that is, is, is this growth in virtue, this more uh, increase in virtue over life is a sign that Jesus actually saved you. And so you look back on your life and you say, oh, I'm less angry than I used to be. I'm not as envious. I'm not envious. I don't lust like I used to. I, right? I see progress, and that is a confirmation that I'm actually saved. So I just ask, do you see that happening in your life? Again, that doesn't mean that you, you suddenly think you're a better, better person than others, that you're better at this than others, but do you see the divine power at work nursing you back into life? You're, right, you're getting your legs under you. You're, you're being nursed back into health. Do you see that happening? Because if you do not see that happening, if we do not see that happening in our lives, we should not assume that we are saved. That if, if we can look at our lives and see any change, any growth in virtue, we should not assume we have encountered the saving grace of Jesus. Have you changed? So we, we have habits that are killing us. We need to be more. And what we are, we must make every effort. Number four, finally, we have everything we are need. And maybe, maybe you heard what I just said um, about how uh, if you haven't changed, you probably shouldn't assume you're saved. You're thinking, so you're telling me it works salvation. I have to be good enough, and if I'm good enough, then God will save me. Which it even sounds like that's what Peter is saying here. So I want to read again verses 9 through 11, because it's not what he's saying, but it really sounds like that's what he's saying. Listen again to verses 9 through 11. Uh, For whoever lacks these qualities, whoever doesn't have a virtuous life, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Like, what it sounds like he's saying is, okay, well, uh, if you practice these qualities, then you will never fail. And if you live this life, well, then you can enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It sounds like if you're good enough, if you're virtuous enough, you get, you get saved. But that's not what Peter's saying. And what he is saying is in verse 9. So he's saying, if you, if you lack virtue, if you look back on your life and you're not seeing moral change, you're not seeing growth into a virtuous person, what Peter, Peter doesn't say is, is that, well, that means um, you're definitely not saved. No, what, what he actually says you're, you're not doing is, is this. Because if you lack these qualities, if you lack virtue, it's like you're blind, you're nearsighted, because you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. And how are we cleansed from our former sins? Not because God looked at us and said, well, you're good enough, I'll, I'll let you in. Not because he looked at us and said, you know, you, you have some potential. If you work hard enough, you can get into my, my kingdom. No, we were cleansed through the cross, through God's unconditional and costly suffering and love for us. And if you and I, if we're not changing, if we haven't grown into a virtuous life, it might mean that we're not saved, but it also might mean we're not looking to the cross as our source of life. We're not remembering how we were cleansed from our former sins. So we must remember 
You must come back again to the cross, again and again and again, to look to the place where Jesus did not escape the corruption of this world, the physical decay, right? He, he entered into that place of death and dying and corruption so that we could have our escape. So as we enter into the next seven weeks, it, we're, listen, it is hard to live a virtuous life. We are going to call um, our congregation, one another, to a life of effort into becoming more and more like Christ. But the starting place is remembering how we were cleansed from our former sins. He said, you can come to the cross and you can see Jesus bearing suffering for you. You can bear the suffering of what it takes, the hardship of what it takes to live a virtuous life. But when you see him Getting trampled on the cross for you enables you to run after a life of Jesus. So the, the primary uh, way we remember how we are cleansed from our former sins, why we do this every week, communion, uh, we come, right? Well, we don't come because we, we, we've earned it this week. We come because we want to live, we want to be more virtuous, we want to be more like Christ, and we remember the way we got into this life is it was his body broken for us, it was his blood that was shed for us. So uh, this is Christ's table. It's not Christ's community's table, which means uh, you don't have to be a member of our church uh, to partake in this meal. Or come and support four to six. Take the bread, uh, dip it into the juice, and eat it together at the instruction of those who are serving you. Uh, we have a little pre-option available on this side of the room, back of your preference. Um, we invite you to come. And, um, before, uh, before I sit down, let me pray. And then as I, I finish, feel free to come and interrupt the story. God, we pause now to remember how we were cleansed from our former sins. Jesus, the, the man of virtue, who never envied, who had no pride in his heart, but humbled himself. Who didn't care what other people thought of him, but only cared what you, the Father, thought of him. Jesus, the one who never lusted, who never acted in pride. That we, we come to remember the one who actually didn't deserve decay, didn't deserve corruption, didn't deserve suffering. God went for us. So that we who, who are envious and are trapped by the opinions of others and are greedy and are envious, God, we we could be we could have escape and have new life. So we ask now as we come to eat at your table, God, would you impart that life to us? We pray.